Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. And this morning, I want to bring us around the thought of our relationship with discipleship. What our relationship is like with our own discipleship and discipling the people around us. Because this Yours, Mine and Ours series is not simply a thought, a thing that we hang on our stage. It's asking ourselves the question, what is, what is my responsibility in all my relationships? What is your responsibility and how do we work together? But it starts with this decision that I want to be discipled well and disciple others well. I'd like to welcome everyone listening online this morning. Relationships and discipleship, we're excited. Are you excited? The thought around this before our band sits down is I ask myself the question, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to authority, what are people's problems? Like, why don't people get discipled? Or what issues do we have with church authority? And it came back to four simple things that I think if we solve these problems, we can have a healthy relationship when it comes to authority in church, when it comes to discipleship in church. I think the first reason why people have a problem is that they've been hurt before. We've got to always be careful when we're hurt not to become victims. Not to approach people that we've never met before with a preconceived idea of how they're going to hurt us. You might have been in church life before and someone abused power or someone hurt you in a certain way. So then you project it on the next connect leader that welcomes you and gives you a coffee at that church. It's ridiculous and it's wrong. And we need to make sure that we don't become victims when we go through past pain. The second area that we have problem with authority is we believe that power is evil. We have a fear that if we don't all have equal power, then it's like a fundamentally bad thing to have authority. And we have this rebellious spirit, whether it was because we were like, we're hippies in the 70s or we had some rebellion against our teacher because they asked us to learn algebra and we think that it doesn't matter because it doesn't. Whatever it is, we have this thing inside of us that just believes that power is, is bad. The third thing is we have a problem with trusting others. We don't trust that people have our best interests at heart and we need control. So we have problems with authority. And the last thing is we're just prideful. Do we think we know better? Do we think that we should be the person that's leading us? That they're wrong and that we're right. And we need to deal with these things. Otherwise, when it comes to being inside the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is a discipleship machine. (laughs) That is the kingdom of God. There's no isolation in the kingdom of God. We're a family, we're a body, we're a unit, we're the church. It's about community, it's about being together. So we have to make sure we have a healthy relationship with discipleship. Who are you discipling today? Who looks you in the eyes and speaks the truth? Who are you a student of? Who are you a teacher to? If you aren't a good student, you won't be a good teacher to the next generation. A key, if you are over the age of, uh, I want to say 30 in this room, so my wife included, she turned 30 this week. Uh, If you want to be a a, a mentor to the next generation, can I encourage you, be mentored. Because the first thing that my generation looks for in a mentor is who is my mentor following? Have they got the humility? Have they got the teachability? Is there someone making them bigger? Otherwise, we're going to hit a ceiling. If the person mentoring me is just teaching me off their past, not their present, we're going to have a problem in a second. I'm going to end up in a place where I think I've arrived. So if you want to mentor the next generation, well, make sure that you are being a student yourself. I want to read a scripture, then I'll pray and we'll get into this. In Ephesians 4 verse 11, we have an amazing truth. 
It's going to appear on our screen. It says this, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip His people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Everyone say, built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We'll continue. Then we, that we may no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. What a horrible imagery there. It's like an infant in a storm. Um, is anyone else getting that? No? Okay, just me. And blown here and there by every wind of teeth. It's such intense imagery. Close your eyes, church. Think of that for a second. Terrible. Um, Teaching it by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Then our last verse, verse 16, he says, For Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, builds itself up, builds itself up. The body builds itself up. There's discipleship and community in the body, mentorship in the body that builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The big idea, the goal of this morning is very simple, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of discipleship. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of discipleship. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of isolation. The kingdom of God is not you demanding your own way. The kingdom of God isn't me and Jesus versus the world. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of discipleship. One of the first things Jesus does in His ministry is He gets some disciples. One of the last things that Jesus does in His ministry is He commissions His disciples. The kingdom of God is all about people. It is all about discipleship. It's not about ticking a box or voting for someone or or believing and subscribing to 10 systems of belief or threat. No, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of discipleship. Let me pray for us this morning and we are going to get into this. Holy Spirit, you are here. You are with us. We thank you that we can stand together as a church family. In this room, there are many people with different weeks, different situations. Some of us are in seasons of mourning. Some of us are believing for miracles. Some of us are hoping for peace to let go of certain things. We thank you, Jesus, you are able to meet every single one of us exactly where we are. It is only you can do that. Not a message, not an organization, not a club. You meet us exactly where we're standing. I pray this morning, God, that not only would you meet with us, but you would love us enough to move us forward. Praise we come around this simple thought that we be a church that is passionate about discipleship. And it's not because of a message, it's because there's something in our heart that knows that you have more on the inside of us than we have discovered yet. And people can draw that out and build us up and encourage us and that we would know that there's something in someone else that we can draw out, that we can encourage, that we can inspire. May this morning be a rally cry to your church on the importance of good discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we thank our band as they take a seat. I am a bad driver. I am. I just am. Everyone say, you're a bad driver, Joel. I'm 29. For some of you, um, that is young. For some of you, that is old. But I've been driving for on and off. 
on and off for uh, since I was 16. Back when, uh, maybe if you're older than me, you didn't have to do 50 hours. Now they have to do like 350 hours on their L's. Have to do like six straight months of in a car and towing caravans and things. Night, snow, underwater. They've got to pass all these impossible tests. But when I got my L's, we had to do 50 hours, um, whether we did or we just signed for it. And then we had to do a test. And then if we passed that test, we got our P's. I remember going for my L's test with a friend. He studied. He was on the computer, on his little PC, and little clicking things and doing the test. And I was at his house. His mum was walking him through the book, and I was, just, I was just watching TV. And we went together. We went down there. We sat next to each other. We did the test. I, like, honestly, there was, like, six or seven questions. I was like, I don't know, A. Um, and I passed, and he failed. Now... It was an amazing drive back to his house. Like, mwah, the tension, the tension in that car. I think that's when his mom made the decision that she would never like me, and that's okay. I forgive her. Um, and then I did my P's test. Uh, sorry, the, the, so that was to get my L's. And then to get my P's, um, I got in the car with this lady doing the test. And she was, I uh, had it in my car, um, Hillsong United playing in the background. She's like, oh, you're a Christian. She's like, oh, I go to church. And I was like, I just passed. <laughs> like me? <laughs> I just passed this, this driving exam. So what church? She goes, oh, oh, you go to their church? Oh, Steve and her. I don't Steve and her. My wife goes to their church. And I was just like, Yes. I hit gutters. I hit some. No, I didn't really. Um, but I passed with flying colors. But I'm a terrible driver. And the system is very, very broken. Because I should never have had my license. And I still shouldn't. Because I'm, like, I'm distracted by everything. Everything on the road. Like some, what? Um... But I've been driving for a while, right? Like I've got a couple of years under my belt, a, a decade and a little bit, that I've been in my car driving to a destination, however I choose fit based on the amazing training that had taken place in my... There was one... When I, before I went for my P's, I had a driver. Um, I won't mention any names. Um, and a driving instructor, like those little pre-test things. And we were at Archers going down the hill, if you know, Nara. And I was about to turn and he sneezed on me. <laughs> and I felt it. It was like the wind of the spirit coming across <laughs> with the dew of heaven. Um, and when it touched my hand, some of you might know this feeling, it died. <laughs> my left hand had passed away. Um, and I was in a manual because I'm a man. Um, <laughs> no offense if you're a guy that chooses automatic. Um, and I had to drive one-handed manual because it had passed, it had died, um, turning around on a corner. And he's like, what are you doing? And he like grabbed the wheel. And I was like, I can't tell you what you have done to me, but you, you have sinned against me, brother. Um, <laughs> So I've had some driving experiences that maybe haven't been the best. In a little while, I'll come back to the importance of this story, but I'm not going to try and segue it. I'm just going to just move on right now. The first thing when it comes to the discipleship is really important. And if you're being discipled well, it shows a few things about who you are as a person, who you are as a son or daughter of God. And if you're not being discipled, as, uh, if you're not being discipled well, it also shows something about who you are as a son or daughter of God. 
If you refuse to be vulnerable, if you refuse to be humble, if you refuse to sit down with someone and actually get real discipleship that you listen to, it says something about you. I don't care who hurt you. Oh, I do. I actually do care who hurt you. and I do actually care about where you're up to and moving you forward. It's not true. But I, I don't want you to ever become someone that in five years' time, that person doesn't like the decisions you're making today. I want the future you to be like, I thank, I thank Joel from 2019 for getting over himself and humbling his heart. I want when I have some teenage kids in my house, I want to be thankful for the decisions I made now about my time management and my priorities when it came to my family and what mattered and what didn't matter and that my family wouldn't get my leftovers and strangers get my best, that I would make those decisions. I want to be thankful that I put those convictions on the ground now. So no matter where you're up to, no matter where you've been, I pray this morning we get located and empowered to step forward. The first thing that's revealed when it comes to your discipleship, if you're being discipled well, it shows that you are humble. Humility looks good on everyone. It's something that will match every shoe, every accessory, every pant, every shirt. Humility looks good on you, church. Pride looks good on no one. When I was in high school, I, um, this is just showing how ADHD I am. When I was in high school, I was an amazing high jumper, like astonishing, like <laughs> astonishing. I went to the Christian school and I was the best there, which pretty much means I'm Olympic level. Um, then you go to like, <laughs> like regional and that, and you get destroyed. But at the Christian school, oh, I was the king. Um, and I'd scissor kick. Every time, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> disgusting, um, every time I would scissor kick and I would walk away and I used to have long hair because of Samson and I would, I would put my, my hair behind my ear after every scissor kick. It would be like a thing, I'd be like, scissor kick, boom, walk away, look back, hair there. <laughs> Pride looks good on no one. I mean, how beautiful your hair is. How humble are you, church? 1 Peter 5 verse 5 to 6 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. Speaking of the elders of the church. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Let's give our hearts a little humility check. Who was the last leader, mentor, disciple that you submitted to? Who was the last shepherd you came to, not for advice, but for direction? Because I know if, I like, if I'm at home with my sheep in my backyard and we're going somewhere, <laughs> um, the sheep don't come to me and like, Joel, where do you think we should go today? The sheep are like, Meh, and they follow the shepherd. Ultimately, Jesus is our good shepherd, but it would be ridiculous to assume that there aren't shepherds inside of God's house, inside of the local church. So do you submit? Do you have convictions of honor? Do you go to shepherds for advice or direction? Are you humble enough to be discipled well in the local church? Some of us might approach discipleship waiting for our leader or a pastor or someone in the church. This is our excuse. There's not someone with the right formula yet. 
they haven't got the years or that experience or the way that they communicate or their flavor or their look or where they grew up or how they talk. I'm looking for a specific mentor and until I find them, I am isolated. That shows how much you need discipleship. That thought that someone is perfect and you will follow them is a ridiculous assumption about leadership, of perfection in church, about putting our fakeness on and coming to church. What you need is someone that will look you in the eyes, remind you of the truth, draw out the God on the inside of you. Yes, someone that has fruit. But if Jesus walked into the room, would he be able to disciple you? Or did he not have the years or not have the experience or not have teenage kids yet or not moved forward yet? Would Jesus qualify? Those issues show a lack and a need for discipleship. God doesn't look for what is natural, so we shouldn't either. So are you humble enough to be discipled well in the local church? Or the opposite, are you too proud to be discipled well in the local church? Are you undercover? I'll give you this one thought before we move on. It's just mentorship isn't for the young, it's for the humble. You weren't mentored till you arrived. Mentorship is not for our 13 and 14-year-olds coming to our youth ministry that have no heritage in God and get saved. Mentorship is for anyone that is humble enough to be like, I haven't arrived. I don't know it all. God isn't done. I'm not big enough yet. I, my convictions aren't strong enough. I haven't, I haven't taken over that giant enough yet. I've still got this. I keep on doing the same thing again and again, and I'm not getting breakthrough. Mentorship is for the humble. So let us humble our hearts before God so that he may exalt us up in due time. Number two is this. It's grow. If you're willing to be discipled well, it's a statement saying, I want to grow. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians 4 verse 14 if you haven't already. Bless you. Daughter of the Lord, bless that sneeze. Going back to that imagery, then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. We need to be people that are committed to our growth. Going back to me driving, I've been driving now for uh, 14 years on and off. Um, Can I just blow you out of the water for a second, yeah? Thank you. Four of you, that's enough to speak for all of us. Where four or more are gathered there, Joel says things. Um, I do not have 14 years of experience of driving unless I've made decisions incrementally through that experience to become better, to get around people that are smarter, to realize my weak spots. I did have to do the L's test multiple times after I had a season of my life where I submitted to the authorities of the land um, because the Lord sent me on a mission to go to Bible college at a higher speed than what was legal. And a few fingerprints later... Um, What I actually have, what I really have when it comes to my experience in driving is I don't have 14 years of experience. What I have is one year of experience repeated 14 times. And a huge key in church is we think that because I've been, I've been in our church as a leader since I was 15, where I had my first Connect Boys, um, 
fun season, the very first ones that were 10 years older than me. Nothing like discipling someone 25 when you're 15. Um, yeah, it's really hard to pay off your mortgage. Yeah, it was, it's hilarious conversations. <laughs> Which was awesome because I've never, since those moments, I've never been intimidated by leading someone 50 years my senior ever um, because God can do what God does. It was never about what I can do or my, my credentials. It's all rubbish anyway. I, I consider it all a loss because of Christ. So, um, but what can happen is because I've been doing this for 50, half of my life now, I think that I have 15 years of experience. And I do if those moments of mentorship and discipleship, I got uncomfortable, I stretched myself. Or I could have 15 years here, but one year of experience repeated 15 times. I drive the exact same way. I don't blinker off roundabouts and it's now become my norm. I'm not a professional driver because I've been driving for this amount of time. If I was in a race, I'd probably win the race, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But there's, there's no finesse in my driving. There's a drink and a burger in both hands, and I'm looking at my kids, and both feet are on the accelerator. Um, <laughs> is Wendy here this morning? Fantastic. Um, <laughs> lock me up again. Um, no, j- joking. <laughs> uh. Let's not be people that have um, time but not experience. I pray that when I get to being in God's house for 50 years, that I have 50 years of experience. Not one year of experience repeated 50 times. Not I got into a normality until the moment I walked into church till I got baptized and I sustained that till today. There's something important about discipleship because it shows that we're willing to grow. Not just doing what we've always done. I just read this quote to us. The point at which we decide we are good enough at something, from that moment onwards, we switch to autopilot and stop improving. The point of which we decide we are good enough at something, from that point onwards, we switch to autopilot and stop improving. That's when we do things that haven't worked, but we keep doing them. We get into this insanity my family hasn't been saved yet, but I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And one day they'll get saved because if I don't go weary and doing good, but we're not doing good. We just exist. Like we grab scriptures and thoughts. If I just wait long enough, then somehow God will do something. No, maybe there's some keys and maybe there's some people that will sit in your corner and be like, actually, every time you argue with your parents right now, young person, and you're like, I'm going to get them saved, but you're still fighting over dishes. Like you're picking fights of things that don't matter. And so a disciple can come into your world and be like, maybe you need some honor in your heart before you expect someone to follow the Jesus that's supposed to have saved you and change the way that you live and put you on a kingdom path. Maybe there's something that needs to change on the inside of you so that you can be used by God. Hmm. Who is making you grow? Who are the biggest voices of betterment in your life? Who makes you feel big and your obstacles seem small? Who is in your corner like, you can do this? It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter when you fell over. You can get back up. You can do this. God's in your corner. He's graced you to be in your workplace, in your marriage. He's graced you for these relationships. Who is the disciple in your world calling you? 
out for who you're called to be, not for who you feel like you are. The third thing is this. When it comes to discipleship, if we're disciple well, it shows that we trust. It shows that we trust. Trust the biggest issue inside of all of our hearts when it comes towards circumstances. In all relationships, do we just trust God? This is dysfunctional. This is hurting. Do you just trust God? That leader asked me to do, and I don't feel like I don't want to take that risk. I'm not ready yet. Do you just trust God? That person in my workplace, they have my destiny, and they can't, if I don't play this game and do this thing, no, do you just trust God? Can you keep on being faithful and righteous and walking with Jesus and doing your very best? Do you trust that God has got you? Do you trust that he's got a plan? Do you trust you that what God plans, no man can stop? No issue can stop. No lack of parenting that you might have wanted or some pain in your heart. Nothing can stop the plan and purposes of God for you. Do you trust Him? And it shows that we're trusting God when we're willing to submit. Do we're willing to trust the rest of His body. We're willing to trust apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, knowing that they are there to equip us to do the work of the ministry, that the body exists so that it may mature itself. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this in the message, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try and figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He is the only one who keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Questions to ask ourselves: Do I have to control things to enjoy things? Do I have a trust issue going on? Do I have to control everything? Are I willing to trust that people have the best for me? And ultimately, God has the best for me, so it doesn't matter what anyone else's agenda is. God's got me. I'm in the middle of his hands and everything that comes into my life has the fingerprints of God on it. I trust you, God. I've been in seasons where people that have been leading me have not had the best intentions. But I trusted God. I sat and asked questions. I humbled myself. Because I trust that Jesus is in control, not only of his church, but of everything. Discipleship shows our trust if we really believe that God is good, that he has a plan, that he has the best for me and that nothing will stop him. I thought before we move on is just this, trust that God is in control and that nothing can stop him. No matter what your season is, whatever your moment is, when it comes to your relationship with discipleship, trust that God is in control and nothing's going to stop him. You have no problem submitting when you know that God is in control. You have no problem having a mentor that says things that challenge you, offend you, stretch you, when you trust that God is in control. Mentorship is not for the young, it's for the humble. The fourth thing is this, it shows that you're willing to participate. Participate. Not participation awards, which are a joke. Who loves participation awards? All the losers put their hands up. No, I'm joking. Um, I didn't have a trophy before, but now I get one. I love participation awards. I sometimes just go to the trophy shop and buy myself one. Participation in the month of April, Joel. You did it. No. Um, when it comes to discipleship and mentorship, if you refuse to be discipled, if you refuse to be mentored, you are saying, I refuse to participate. 
I refuse to play a part. I refuse to get my hands dirty. Ask yourselves these questions. Right now, are my hands dirty when it comes to the kingdom of God? Not in a bad way, but in like I'm getting involved. I'm in people's lives. I'm mentoring. I'm being mentored. I'm getting challenged. I'm not just repeating my one year over and over and over again. And I wait for Vision Sunday and I wait for the celebration offering to help me get over the, the humps of life and move into a better season. No, 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 no. I have mentors that are helping me get my hands dirty. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling someone? Do you even know what discipleship looks like? If you think this is discipleship, you are wrong. This isn't discipleship. This is preaching. And you're listening and nodding or shaking. (laughs) Please don't shake too much. For your own sake, not mine. Are you sitting with someone? Are you doing life with someone? Does someone know your three greatest weaknesses? Do you trust someone enough to be like, these are the things that are going to take me out and you need to know them and you need to help me? Do you have three people that you need to lie to to make that mistake? Or can you make that mistake because no one's in your corner and no one's around you? Do you have people that are just like, no, you're not going over that line. You're not going over that line. Somebody, you're 11 o'clock at night and there's options and there's mistakes and there's things. No, no, there's people in my corner 24-7 that will keep on discipling and mentoring me and helping me. We all have something to give. There is an action for every single one of us. Can I go um, off topic for a second as we... Uh, almost finishing. Alicia Keys, you can jump on the keys. Can I read something out of James 2 for us? Is that okay? Verse 23, it talks about uh, faith without uh, works is dead. And verse 23 picks up talking of one of the heroes of the faith, Abraham, like the celebrity, like the person that was the guy that people referred to, the one that was uh, used again and again as an example of what God's relationship would be with people. It says this in verse 23, And so it happened, just as Scripture says, Abraham believed God, and God declared him to be righteous. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are made right with God, by what we do, not by faith alone. This this verse is like a key, amazing, honouring Abraham, quoting that scripture. Not just saying that Abraham was righteous, but he was a friend of God. Uh, I want to respond to the offer of friendship that God has given me. Not of just service, but of friendship. An amazing thing happens in the next verse that makes it better. It says this, Rahab the prostitute is another example of this. She was made right by God by her actions. When she hid those messages and sent them safely away by a different road, just as the body is dead without the spirit, so also faith is dead without good deeds. Book of James shows us here this huge moment of honor towards someone that clearly deserves it. Abraham, yes, we, he had his shortcomings, he had his mistakes, but he's a hero. And then it says in some translations, in the same way, Rahab. 
in the same, not Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. This, this, this statement of this huge hero of the faith and Rahab the prostitute were made righteous because they did something. Pre-Jesus, they did something. They were considered righteous. It was said of Abraham that he was a friend of God, but in the same way, Rahab, it probably just wasn't said about her. When it comes to discipleship, no matter if you feel like an Abraham or you somehow got in just by the skin of your teeth, you don't have 10 skin of your teeth, disgusting. If there's skin in your teeth, please see a medical professional today. Whether you feel like Abraham or you feel like you just got in, your actions have something to bring. And yeah, it's for your righteousness with God. Awesome. But the actions of Abraham, the actions of this prostitute, were used to bring breakthrough to others. The last thought before we just recap is this. You can only participate on the field. No matter how much you think that your cheering for the state of origin is going to change the game. You got your pom-poms out. You're watching at home. You're yelling at anyone that's talking during the game. Bible says to confess our sins to one another. Let me confess Joey's. Joey has this thing that uh, at every state of origin, the guys get together at these different houses. I'm not invited. Uh, The reason why I'm not invited is because I am too good for them. (laughs) I'm not invited because I quote unquote ruin the game. Um, I say things like, oh, the the pinks and the blues, they're doing really well. Home run. And they hate it. um, Because they think that their participation is going to win the game and my lack of participation ruins it. But it doesn't matter how much pom-poms you have, how much you're championing others. There's, you've got to get on the field. You've got to be like, I'm going to be involved in discipleship. I'm going to participate. I'm not going to spectate. Because we can all be off wandering around doing special things for Jesus and our legacies will all die with us. Or we can realize that we're a part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of you, not the kingdom of me, the kingdom of God, which is made up of a head and a body, a church, a family, a unit. So in recap, we need to be humble, that humility looks good on everyone. We need to grow. We need to have benchmarks and betterment and experience that has compound, like it keeps on going on itself again and again and again, not repeating what has been, but becoming better. Discipleship shows that thirdly, we trust. Asking ourselves the question, how much do I really trust God? And lastly, fourth, do we participate? Are we actually in the body? Because man, you can be in a building, but not the body. You can be on the sideline, but not in the game. Whether I say you're not in the body or you're asleep in the body, I don't know if it matters to you. It doesn't matter to me. 
I want to make the decision that I'm going to participate in the things of God, that the kingdom of God is advancing as a family, as a unit, as a tribe, as a community. Therefore, I'm going to let my barriers down. I'm going to move on from some things. I'm going to get in a healthy place. I know that my hurt, I can move from it. My lack of trust, I can move forward. These things are not these things are not ceilings, they are platforms. And if I'm willing to get discipled and be vulnerable again, maybe I can get some unforgiveness fixed or some anger fixed or some distrust fixed or some pride fixed. I'm gonna make a decision that I'm not gonna stay where I am. I am not staying where I am. I'm not staying here. I have not arrived. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not where I deserve to be or where I've been. But I do not in any way want to be here in six months' time. I pray that you don't want to be where you're standing in a week's time. I want someone in my corner. Yes, God is there. Yes, He's working all things. Yes, 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 yes. But the body is used in that. God is not isolated. The church has not, the body of Christ has not been decapitated. There isn't God's head and then His body's over here. I don't like the church, but I love Jesus. You're not worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping a concept or an idea. God is very attached to His body. He is very attached to His body. He is very attached to His body. Let's just check our hearts. I was asked you to close your eyes. Let's just check ourselves. We have amazing scriptures throughout the Bible where honest, vulnerable children of God say things like, uh, like shine a light on my heart, God, if there's anything in me that offends you. Like show me. Let me tell you, if there's unforgiveness and pain and big walls up between you and the body, it offends the heart of God. In the same way that when my kids fight, it affects me. (laughs) My love for my family and my children is nothing compared to God's love for His sons and His daughters. We have to be a church that's willing to trust Him and partner together. You become your mentors, including if the number one mentor in your life is you. You'll just become who you are right now again and again and again and again. And you wonder why you can't break that addiction. You've been in church for 20 years, but you still haven't fixed it. It's because you can be in a church, but not in the body. Moving together, maturing and becoming everything we're called to be. God, we just stand before you or sit before you this morning. Choosing to worship you, like choosing to take our eyes off our own pain, our own agendas, our own past, we choose to worship you. Like you're worthy of it. You're worthy of our attention and our praise. You're worthy of being the person that is truly Lord of our life, that is truly Saviour. May we be a church that's not so interested in ourselves that we forget our King. That we truly be a sacrifice of worship. That we lay ourselves down for you. Give us the strength to be vulnerable 
and teachable. If there's pride in our hearts this morning, God, help us right now. Not a concept a few years away when everyone's nicer to us and we'll be less prideful. Right now, to come under you. We don't want to be opposed by you. We don't want our pride to mean that we're opposed to you. Help us to submit ourselves under your mighty hand. Humble our hearts. Forgive and move on. Burn the list of wrongs of those around us. Help us to humbly walk before you because we need disciples. We need disciples in our lives. We need people that are helping us grow and we don't want some person that we don't even talk to anymore to rip us off of our future because we refuse to forgive and let go and fix our attention on you. We want to be everything you've called us to be. I pray lastly, God, in this place, that you help us to have open eyes to mentors and disciples and leaders in your local church. We don't, we know that the local church is here to equip us. Apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers are here to equip us. Our discipleship and mentorship is not found necessarily in our workplace or on TV or even on a podcast. Our discipleship and mentorship is found in this community of people that will challenge each other and grow each other. There is an authority, an anointing, a grace that if honoured, if honoured, it's not about everyone else. If honoured, we become who we're called to be. So help us to have open eyes to be discipled and mentored and give us open eyes to realise that we haven't arrived yet. Whether it be humility, whether it be growing, trust or participating, Meet us where we're at and don't leave us there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.